Hello and welcome to another episode of In the Narthex. My name is Alyssa Gubrell, and I'm here today, as always, with Pastor Jeff Thune and Pastor Lucas Hattenberger of Northwest Bible Church. For this podcast, we sit down to discuss how the gospel of Jesus Christ speaks to the questions and conversations of today. And this week, we are discussing the topic of the kingdom of God. So why are we doing that? Great question. I think the reasoning on this has evolved a little bit. Um, So let me try to describe it to our listeners. Um, If you're not part of Northwest Bible, we've been teaching through the gospel of Matthew. So that's sort of reason number one, because one of the main themes or motifs throughout Matthew's gospel is the kingdom of heaven. Um, So John the Baptist comes on the scene. Um, We read in Matthew chapter 3, verse 2, in those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea. And he said, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Um, Shortly thereafter, he kind of introduces us to Jesus. And then as Jesus steps into his public ministry, it says, from that time, Jesus began to preach, saying, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So we're almost immediately at the beginning of Matthew's gospel. Um, The kingdom is sort of this, this theme. It's something that um, prophets are talking about. It's something that Jesus himself is immediately talking about. And then to sort of bookend the gospel at the very end, um, the resurrected Christ himself um, comes to his disciples, says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. So that's that's very like, basically the implicit there is like, hey, grow this kingdom, advance this kingdom. This kingdom has come, now gather people into it. So that's the first reason, just that we've been teaching through Matthew. Our series is called The Kingdom. We see that thread throughout Matthew's gospel. The second reason, you guys are going to love this, is this last week... I was watching the PBS kind of um, coverage or re-coverage of the Queen Mother's death and funeral and memorial, Um, and man, it was just so fascinating um, just to see all of the pomp and circumstance and and people, and even though Great Great Britain's kind of monarchy is more of a, yeah, I don't know, you would even call it, it's... it's, um, yeah, it's it's more of a traditional veneer sort of, of, you know, I don't know that the royal family really does a ton except to represent the interests of um, Great Britain. But I'm watching that, and there's part of me that was kind of like, this is all kind of silly, you know, all these silly hats and outfits and, um, and uh, just how they do things and the significance of everything. But then I... Something else started to happen in me as I was watching. I was like, well, this seems silly to me, but not to the people who are actually experiencing and walking through it and understand the significance. And as I was listening to the kind of the BBC commentator give me insights into this is what they're doing right now. This is why this is significant. This is, you know, um, how the queen, you know, for now, uh, however many decades, you know, I mean, eight decades or more, maybe that she's kind of been in this position and held this, this role. And so I started thinking to myself like, okay, this is really significant once you understand it, once you really understand what's going on there. And it made me just think like, 
because most American Christians, none of us really have a category for kingdom language. We haven't lived in a kingdom. We don't understand kind of the ins and outs of um, how, how do you even, yeah, how do you even, how would you innately just think and feel and, and be if um, the kingdom was more part of your history, your background, your upbringing? So that being said, I was like, you know, th- this might be a good, it might be good just to talk a little bit more about that because I think we need some contextual, contextualizing, like, what is, what, what, do we, what is the scripture getting at with this kind of kingdom motif and why is it really significant, really important, especially as Jesus now kind of arrives on the scene in the Gospel of Matthew and, and all uh, three other Gospels as well. So um, we're going through the Gospel of Matthew. It's very prominent throughout the Gospel of Matthew. I don't know that we have a cultural, contextual foundation to innately understand kingdom language. And so those for those reasons, we thought, let's do a, let's do a podcast on it. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Um, when I think of kingdom, I think of Disney. <laughs> so, but I know that's <laughs> obviously not what <laughs> Jesus was talking about either. Um, so when we do talk about the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven, um, what is it that we're actually talking about? What does that mean? Yeah, so I'm going to try to give some broad strokes here and and then let Lucas kind of move us into coloring that in, let, letting Matthew color that in for us. Um, and I'm borrowing some of this from um, Patrick Schreiner, among others. But um, we would say kind of the overview or the broad strokes to help us understand the kingdom of God or kingdom of heaven um, is, is simply kind of these three things, right? The biblical story starts like this. Uh, Genesis chapter one, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, the heavens and the earth. In other words, everything we see, know, experience, all of the material world um, all of it was made by God to be the realm of his kingdom or the place where his kingdom would reside. So you have a place. Of course, a kingdom doesn't just need a place. It also needs some people. Um, so in addition to everything else that God made, oceans, mountains, rivers, trees, animals, um, he also made human beings in his image. We read male and female. He created them. So the Bible tells us that we are entirely unique. We're set apart because there's nothing else that, that bears the likeness of God. Um, so God creates a place. God creates a people, but a kingdom also needs a king or ruler or authority. And so God makes it very clear that's, that's who he is. He's the rightful king, gives the man and woman that he's created provisions, boundaries, commands. He even shares his authority with them by giving them roles, responsibilities, stewardship, um, work it and keep it, he says to them, be fruitful and multiply, he says to them. So all of that to say that we have God's people in God's place under God's rule. That's kind of where we start. That's Genesis 1 and 2. But then we come across someone in the story who's already rebelled against the king. And taking on the form of a serpent, he tempts the man and woman to do the same, to 
dismiss, distrust, disbelieve God. And in this tragic moment, they actually do that. So all of a sudden, the realities of sin and death are now introduced into this story. So this place that was supposed to be the fully established um, place with people under God's kingly rule, now all of a sudden it's been broken. It's been lost. It's been threatened. Um, Yeah, but even in the midst of that, we see even in Genesis 3, um, in this crisis moment, um, God still promises to redeem a people, to restore a place, and to rebuild his kingdom. And he makes it very clear that a king is coming who is going to put all things right. So really, the rest of the Bible is an unfolding of that promise. So that unfolding starts with a renewed people. God appears to a man named Abraham, then his son Isaac, then his grandson Jacob, then Jacob's 12 sons. They grow up into the nation of Israel. God says to them, I'm going to be your God. You're going to be my people. Um, Through you, all the nations of the world will be blessed. So you kind of see similar language. Um, This people grows, multiplies, even in a foreign land. Uh, And then the story sort of moves on to a particular place. As God raises up a man named Moses, leads his people out of Egypt, who then passes the baton on to Joshua. Joshua leads this people into the promised land, this promised place, where they begin to spread out and put down roots and establish themselves. So, again, God's people are now in God's place. Um, And yet, yet they're still not faithful to live under God's authority, to live under God's rule. Um, They begin running after other man-made idols and worldviews and gods. Um, Eventually, the story even includes all of these different kings as God raises up men like Saul and David and even Solomon. And so there's this surge of kind of hopeful anticipation because now we have all of the, the pieces in place. Right. I mean, we yeah, we have the we have the place, we have the people. If we just okay, God's rule through this earthly king, these earthly kings. And yet no matter how much um how well I should say these guys do um or not do, um, none of them are ultimately capable of redeeming this people from their greatest enemies, sin, Satan, and death. So all of that to say that as the old testament comes to a close. The prophets start talking about this son of Abraham, this prophet greater than Moses, this descendant of David himself, this king who would surpass all other kings. There's all kinds of hints about who this is, all kinds of foreshadowing um, about when he's going to come. But then as we finally turn the page to the New Testament, right away, we encounter Jesus of Nazareth. Um, And like we said, Matthew chapter 4. In Mark, it's even in chapter 1, but in Matthew chapter 4, it says, from that time, Jesus began to preach, saying, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Um, so that, that, that's kind of all that to say. The music's been building for hundreds of years. The song's moving closer to this crescendo, and now here comes this king. So that's sort of broad strokes, the kingdom traced throughout the redemptive narrative and specifically throughout all of kind of Old Testament history. Um, 
what was originally intended, what was broken and lost, how God is rebuilding that. And now, boom, here's, here's Jesus. Here's the King of Kings. Yeah, I like that perspective or that lens of just looking at the biblical narrative um, through God's people, God's place, God's rule. Um, I think that just kind of gives some clarity. So then, yeah, as we um, do turn the page and look at Matthew, um, how do we see this kingdom motif continue to be fleshed out in and throughout Matthew? Yeah, I mean, we <clears throat> we might call Matthew um, the kingdom gospel. It's all about the kingdom of God. I just want to begin with, I think the heart of the gospel of Matthew is, and that's in Matthew 5 through 7. And um, as many of you will know, that's that's the Sermon on the Mount. And the reason I call it the heart of the gospel of Matthew is because this is where um, uh, the, the teaching about how to live in God's kingdom is, is contained. And, and in fact, um, Frederick Bruner in his commentary says that Really, Matthew 1 through 4 is just kind of introduction, and the meat is where is Matthew 5 through 7. He, he calls it the preface to the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew 1 through 4 is really the preface. And then what you could see, I guess, is, is the rest of the Gospel of Matthew is how that kingdom comes to be realized. But the idea here is the Sermon on the Mount is, uh, is the kingdom of God being realized in and through the disciples of Jesus. It's, it's the Christian realization of God's kingdom in the, in the hearts and lives of God's people. Mm-hmm. Um, now, why, why is this such a central part of Matthew? Well, if, if, if you just look a little bit at the context of Matthew, and it's not you know, explicitly stated, but you can, kind of, you can kind of see it. So Matthew is born out of this context um, in which Jewish people, and specifically synagogues, Pharisees were accusing the earliest Christians of not following the law, of throwing, uh, throwing away the law, of easy believism. You can think about the accusations made against Paul that he uh, wanted to make Christ a servant of sin. He wanted to do away with the law. Well, um, th- that's something of what's going on in Matthew. And um, the reason that we know that is you can kind of see hints of that all throughout the gospel. So for instance, in Matthew 5, 17, uh, Jesus himself, this comes from the list of Jesus, he says, don't think I've come to abolish the law, but I've come to fulfill it in its fullest, meaning I've come to fill it up. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jeff gave a sermon a couple months ago on that where he used this illustration of filling up the water, right, the yeah. water jug. Yeah. Well, the Jewish people understood themselves to be the sort of the expression of God's kingdom. And in the Old Testament, they definitely were. They, they were the people, right? Uh, and they lived in the place of God's rule. And they expressed um, God's way of life because they were living under his rule. And specifically, the way of life that was given through Moses. Moses sort of mediated this, this law. of, Hey, if you want to be like me, if you want to live for me as your king, here is this law. Mm. And Moses gave this law at the, at the top of this mount. Okay, hint, hint. But to live um, God's law for the Jewish people, that was to live under his rule, to live in Jerusalem, that was to be in his place. Mm. It's almost like this new Garden of Eden. Okay, well, now Christians have come on the scene, right? And they said, actually, no, it's no longer Jerusalem. And actually, you're no longer part of the kingdom by obeying the Torah or the law, but you become part of God's kingdom through Jesus. Mm. And part of the accusation 
you can understand this from a Jewish perspective was, well, you mean it's no longer Moses, it's no longer the law, it's no longer obedience. You're just throwing God's law in in the trash can, you know? Um, so how can you claim to be followers of God? And so part of the reason that Matthew wrote was was just to say, hey, listen, far from throwing off the Old Testament and this idea of the kingdom, uh, this idea of a king and law, actually Jesus has come to fulfill it in its deepest sense. Mm. And um, so you can think again of Matthew 5, 17. I have not come to abolish it, but I've come to fulfill it to its deepest sense. And you can think of all of the um, conflict that uh, was between Jesus and the Pharisees. And then as you get um, down the road with the church, between the synagogue and, and the church. Um, so Matthew writes to make this point, that the gospel is actually the place where um, the, the truest realization of the kingdom is uh, uh, comes to fruition. And um, you, you can see it just in the Sermon on the Mount, where Jesus says this. He says, your righteousness must exceed that of the Pharisees. Now, a lot of us read that and we think that's hyperbolic speech. But this statement was made in, in a lot of um, controversy between him and the Pharisees and how they interpreted the law and how Jesus interpreted it. Um, the Pharisees were trying to make the kingdom come through their works, through their dietary laws, through the sacrifices, through the rituals, through the, you can think of the hand washings and the Sabbath laws. And Jesus says, nope, that's not going to work. Mm. Um, I've come to bring a deeper, more real realization of the righteousness of God and the reign of God in your life. And, um, and in fact, this is kind of the idea behind the new birth. It, it's not external. It becomes to be real in, um, in your life. And so that's how Jesus intros the Sermon on the Mount. And then he just goes to say, listen, you might have heard the Pharisees teach that, um, you know, don't, don't, uh, don't commit adultery. But I am saying, even if you look at someone with lustful eyes, you're guilty of that commandment. You see how Jesus, he deepens that commandment. He says, listen, I want a, a more real realization of submission to God, of the kingdom of God, of the reign of God. And he does that all the time. And, what it, and uh, commonly this is, um, this is called, what, crap, I forgot the name of it. What is it called? The antecedents or something? Yeah, yeah. No, that's not it. No. Antecedents. <laughs> Should we edit this out? What is it called? I was, on, I was on a good roll and then I forgot it. Anyways, I'll edit this out. What is it called? The the anti he's he's against. Something. Oh yeah 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 yeah. Uh, anyways. Yeah, you're right. I, I that's Bruner brings that out, but I can't. Anyways, it's 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 commonly understood that Jesus was speaking against the Pharisaical understanding of the law. He wants to bring a greater realization. All right, now how, how does how does uh, how does this all bear out in the in the book of Matthew? All right, I just want to do just a real quick run through of chapters one through four and how it connects to five through seven. So what Frederick Bruner says, and I think this is just so brilliant. Frederick Bruner says that chapters one through four are really just Christology in narrative form. Meaning, yeah, Matthew's telling a story, but he's trying to paint a picture of who Jesus is in connection with this idea of the kingdom of God. And uh, so for instance, in chapter one, you have this genealogy. And what Matthew does is he very purposefully connects Jesus to Abraham he starts with uh, Abraham, he ends with Abraham, he connects him to David. Um, he gives this very um, impressive pedigree 
of Jesus. And very purposefully, he goes all the way back to Abraham, even beyond Moses, even beyond the prophets, even beyond the kings. He's a son of the promise. In other words, when God made that promise, Jeff, like you said, through Abraham, I'm going to make this this kingdom. Well, Jesus is that son, right? And, um, and so Jesus is kind of the son of the promise. But here's where it gets interesting. We all have read this story before of Jesus um, is under the threat of Herod. Herod wants to get rid of Jesus. He, he tries to kill all the kids, all the kids under two or whatever. And Jesus is able to escape uh, that, that threat. Well, is, is there someone who sounds a lot like that? Um, it's Moses. Moses is uh, also went through the same exact thing. And also then Israel went through the same exact thing where uh, Pharaoh wanted to kill all of the, the boys under, you know, under two, two years of age so that, that he could kind of whittle down the population. Jesus did the same thing, and he escaped Herod's grasp. And so what is Matthew doing? He's connecting Jesus to Moses, to Israel. All right, and then he goes, to, uh, he goes and hides out in Egypt. Well, who was in Egypt, right? Israel was in Egypt. And then he escapes Egypt, and he's baptized. And uh, it's just such a strange scene because John the Baptist says, who am I to baptize you? You're, you're greater than I. Um, well, I want, you to, I want you to just picture this. Jesus uh, escapes death. He goes to Egypt. He comes out of Egypt, and he goes through the waters of baptism, and he comes out on the other side in a desert wilderness place, right? What is that? That's the story of Israel. Now, I want to nerd out on you for just one more one, one second is in the Greek, Mark, when he narrates Jesus' baptism, he uses the word uh, for tear. Um, it's the same word that he uses for the tearing of the temple when Jesus dies, uh, the tearing of the temple veil, rather. The, the veil is torn. All people are welcomed into God's presence. Mark is very temple-centered. Well, Matthew uses a different word, and it doesn't mean tear. But it means to open. Uh, it means to split. And you can, you can picture this. As Jesus is going through the waters, the heavens are split open, just like the waters of the Red Sea mm. are split open. Mm. Right? So Moses, and here's where, here's where we're getting to this idea of Christology. Moses brings the people out of Egypt through the waters of the Red Sea to ultimately to the land right, where, the, where God's presence is. But Jesus brings the people through the, through the waters, but up into the true temple, into the true presence of God, right? So Matthew is making this, this statement about how uh, Mo, uh, Moses was good, but Jesus is better. And then Jesus goes out into the wilderness where he's tested, he's tempted. Just like Israel is tempted, Israel failed, Jesus succeeds, he obeys. And then after he goes through the wilderness, he goes on top of a mountain and he gives this law. All of this is just a story starting with Moses, going all the way to the Sermon on the Mount where Moses, too, he gives a Sermon on the Mount. It's the 10 words, right? The 10 words of God. But Jesus gives a greater word. So the whole idea here, and this is what Frederick Bruner is getting at, is Jesus is a greater Moses Mm. who uh, brings a greater Exodus, who uh, brings a greater kingdom, mm. and the kingdom is 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 uh, even more realized, even more than the Pharisees could could have anticipated. Right, so your righteousness must exceed that of the Pharisees, meaning it's got to go internal. It's got to be this new mm. birth. It's got to be you know. Mm. So, um, 
I don't want to go too long here, but I just think uh, Matthew, you call it the gospel of the kingdom, and that's just, you know, so true. Oh, man, that's just so rich. And, you know, probably why Matthew even phrases or, or terms it the kingdom of heaven as opposed to or intention with the kingdoms of earth, even um, that of the Pharisees. Um, and, you know, Matthew goes on to contrast heaven and earth throughout his gospel and, and draws these like sharp distinctions between the two. So you think of like rather than ruling immediately, um, as you already said, Lucas, Jesus is chased by another king rather than conquering with the sword. He heals um, he brings peace rather than rebuilding the temple. He says that it will be destroyed. And yet all throughout Matthew, um, Jesus seems to be sort of uniting the two, the, the heaven, heavenly and earth, earthly kingdoms, kind of uniting the two together through his incarnation and, and ministry and cross work. And um, I think it's important to see how he does that. Um, he does that. First of all, through his words, he builds his kingdom, not through the sword, but through this message of good news that, that God um, God has provided a way to, um, to remove the separation between him and men. So his words are like seeds that go into the earth, into people's hearts, and this kingdom begins to sprout out of, out of that, right, out of this gospel. Um, so he does it through his words. He does it through his works, the land, the 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 place that he's come to because of his presence and ministry there, it becomes a little heaven on earth, so to speak, as people are healed and rescued and forgiven. Um, and then he does it through his cross work and, and resurrection. And you kind of hinted at this, but it's just so interesting to me that Matthew, you know, especially it's, he ends up in the garden, right? So that's where it all began. That was the original kind of place, um, if you will. And he redeems that even by being in the garden and and talking to his father and that garden then leading to the cross. And then through the cross, after he is raised um, from the dead, he he appears as the resurrected king to whom? To his followers on what? Where? On a mountain, right? The place where heaven meets earth. So just some really significant, rich things that Matthew is drawing out. And, and if we don't have any sort of understanding of, of the kingdom motif, we're going to miss it. And there's, there's a lot to miss, but there's so much to gain from it. Yeah, so um, the kingdom of God is at hand. So what does that mean for us? Um, how then are we supposed to live in light of that? Great question. You know, I think um, Patrick Schreiner has this, this line in his book, The Kingdom of God and the Glory of the Cross, where he says the Gospels end with Christ the King resurrected and ascended. The rest of the New Testament answers the question, what happens in the kingdom now that the king is gone? He continues, the focus does not turn away from Jesus, but seizes upon his exalted and risen status, the work of his spirit and the word, and the formation of his community. King Jesus is now creating his community from all nations. The church is to be salt and light, for they are elect exiles and servants of the king on an earth that needs to hear the kingdom announcement. I kind of like that. I I think that's very true. Um, Obviously, 
Matthew ends with the the Great Commission, uh, which we've already referenced a couple times um, on this podcast, but where the resurrected Christ on the mountain where heaven and earth meet says, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Um, And I think then as we pick up the story, as Luke continues the story in Acts, we have that great line at the beginning of Acts, you know, Luke wrote his his own gospel, his own account of of the life and, and ministry of Jesus. Um, but then in his kind of second work in Acts, he talks to Theophilus again, and he, he has this line in there where he talks about in his first account, um, he referenced all that Jesus began to do and teach. So the implication there is, um, it was just the beginning, right? Like it's, it's, it's continuing on. And so, um, he, he references that at the beginning of Acts. And then we see it's really the, the continuing Acts, the continuing movement, um, of Jesus himself through his Holy Spirit, through the lives of, of his, um, apostles. And so, um, we're only a chapter into Acts where, um, he tells them, Hey, the Holy Spirit's going to come. He's going to give you power to be my witnesses. Um, and, you know, uh, essentially then we see the kingdom starting to expand and advance and more people are gathered into it as these guys move out, um, in his spirit, by his spirit, um, proclaiming this news of, of this resurrected and reigning King. And so, um, I think that's that's um, just a, I guess, a foretaste, a glimpse of what we're now experiencing. Lucas, we got anything that you would kind of add to that? I mean, before we get into okay, so how does how does that how's that relevant to us, or how should we live? I mean, that's kind of how the story continues, and I think it's really important for us to, um, yeah, just to see that and um, see the kingdom is not therefore ended or returned up into heaven. It's, you know, it's been established. It is advancing. Yeah. I, I, and I think that's a great uh, point about uh, in the, in the book of Acts that uh, it, it's really, it's not the acts of the apostles, it's the acts of the risen Christ, right? right. It's, it's, it's uh, Jesus continuing to act through his apostles. And I think Luke even gets at that when he says, um, that the apostles were doing miracles just like Jesus had done. They were doing exorcisms just like Jesus had done. People would touch their cloaks just like Jesus, and they'd be healed, right? That's not saying, oh, yes, therefore every Christian can um, just go exercise demons. No, it's, it's, it's saying that Jesus and his kingdom work is now continuing through his body, the church, right? Mm-hmm. So now the church is the manifestation of... Um, Christ and his rule and his reign on this earth. We are the presence of the kingdom on this earth until it's finally consummated when, when he comes. So yeah, the, the kingdom is continuing. It's, it, it's expanding. It's no longer just this sort of um, ethnocentric tribal sort of religion uh, like Jewish, like Judaism understood it, itself to be, and I guess still understands itself to be, but it's now it's global. It's multi-ethnic, multinational across the whole world. So, yeah, I think Acts, understanding Acts as this continuation of the kingdom is pivotal. I think that's a really cool thought, too, because I think a lot of times the kingdoms of the earth, we, we think, 
and and we've seen they kind of come and go they have their season they have their time they have their ruler who then dies like you know queen elizabeth and now there's kind of this new iteration but it's going to look different it's going to be you know um arranged differently under a new ruler or that kingdom's going to eventually end and um you know a- another one's going to pop up somewhere else in form we're we're talking about hey the kingdom of god is eternal it is it is moving and advancing it is led and ruled by an eternal sovereign um christ himself and so we're what's really cool about that is we're caught up in that and um we're caught up with brothers and sisters from hundreds and hundreds of years ago who've gone on to glory but in this um particular time and season um it's yeah it's it's ever advancing ever moving global like you said drawing all tribes and tongues and languages and peoples and so um how then do we live day to day in light of that um i think i would just start by saying and joel kind of referenced this last week as as he was he was teaching through matthew 25 but um we need to spend quite a bit of time just um looking at, gazing upon, learning from, um, getting to know our king, right? Like, who is he? And and um, let's study his life. Let's study um, his teachings. Let's align our lives with, with his. Um, that's kind of like, to, to know what I'm a part of, I need to know the one who has established it and reigns over it. So, that's what we do every Sunday morning. Um, I think that's what we do um, in our quiet times with the Lord. That's what we should be doing throughout every week as we meet in smaller groups is just gazing upon Christ um, and getting to know him and letting him kind of define for us, okay, therefore, what what then do we um, yeah, move toward? What then do should we desire? Should we want? What um, how does that drive our decisions? What are we really a part of? So, um, yeah, that's, that'd be one step. You want to you want to color that in, add to that, or move on from that? Well, I would just um, just go to talk about the um, beatitudes. I mean, I think that you know, I heard one theologian, uh, Joseph Ratzinger, um, in in one of his works, he. He says that the Beatitudes are the transposition of the cross and resurrection into kingdom living. So in other words, everything that Jesus has accomplished, when it's made effective in our lives, it, it is the Beatitudes. It's living out the kingdom ethics. It's living out the law of Christ. So if the Jewish people, when they received the law of Moses, understood that they were submitting to God's rule and reign, then then to submit to God uh, in this new kingdom, in this new covenant kingdom, is to, through the power of Christ, begin to embody the Beatitudes and uh, the attitudes there. So you you can look at, um, you know, the blessed, uh, the uh, you know, blessed are the the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Okay, well, um, that that means that the the universal kingdom is going to be realized when I'm meek, and so by the power of the Holy Spirit, that needs to be embodied in me and. So just just begin growing in the sermon the sermon on the mount the the teachings of Christ and that obviously happens through the greater righteousness of the Pharisees which is the Holy Spirit living in us mm. um, but yeah it's just hey I want to start living out the law, you know Paul calls it the law of Christ mm. which is 
conformity to the cross and resurrection being made more into his image. So on a personal level, there, there's that. And then, like you said, the corporate level, there's the church. The church is the outpost of the kingdom, like like you had just said. So, um, yeah, I just think conforming ourselves to, to that to that rule is, is, is important. Yeah. Yeah, and that's a... I think that's probably a, a thing to renew on a daily basis. Um, but to even know, okay, I'm a, I'm a citizen um, of a, a larger, a greater, a more eternal kingdom. Um, and I need to learn what that means and um, learn what it means to be a part of that, what I've, what I've gained from that, who I'm supposed to be because of that. Um, man, that's a life, life, life's work right there. Yeah. It's, it's, it's the work of sanctification, right. isn't it? I mean, it's, it's, and, and it's, it's what we're aiming at when, when the, you know, so the, the church, one way of thinking of the church is kind of the manifestation of the kingdom here, right? In this not yet redeemed world, but it's anticipating the, the glorification of of our whole selves, right? Body and soul mm. will be transformed, made ever more in the image of Jesus. So, mm. um, yeah. Yeah. I think, uh, yeah, just realizing that, um, we're sojourners, you know, we're, um, citizens of a greater kingdom, but we're also ambassadors here in, in the different kingdoms that we interact with here on earth. We're ambassadors for for the king, you know. That's uh that's quite a calling. Um, I love the way that that Peter puts it, um, because I think it's, yeah, I think it's just really um, profound, but also kind of a compelling vision for um, being citizens of a of a heavenly kingdom uh, while here on this earth. He says, "This is First Peter two verse 9 but you are a chosen race a royal priesthood a holy nation a people for his own possession so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light once you were not a people but now you are God's people once you had not received mercy but now you have received mercy so just that whole idea of your entire identity, your entire life is now oriented in a different way toward a different kingdom because of a different kind of king. Mm. Yeah, that's, that's really good. Well, In the Narthex is a podcast of Northwest Bible Church in Tucson, Arizona. Our goal is to spiritually form our own people, but if you're listening in from somewhere else, we're really glad you joined us and hope that it was helpful for you too. And as always, we'd love to hear from you, so you can always email us at podcast at northwestbible.com with your questions or thoughts for ideas for future podcasts. And we'll see you in the next one. Well, In the Narthex is a podcast of Northwest Bible Church in Tucson, Arizona, um, and we really hope that this um, spiritually forms our own people, but if you're listening in from somewhere else, we're, we're glad you joined us and hope it was helpful for you too. As always, you can email us with your questions or your um, concerns. Nope. <laughs> <laughs>
Nope. Not concerns. <laughs> concerns. We don't not, want to hear them. And not suggestions. <laughs> just praise and adoration. <laughs> <laughs> and snacks. <laughs> and lunch. Good lunch. Yeah. <laughs> Email us your vittles. <laughs> Gift cards are always good too. I like those. <laughs>